last class we were just discussing where sri ramakrishna is discussing about the sharanagati in his words what one did not fear anything if one has received the grace of god it is rather easy for a child to stumble if he holds his father's hand but there can be no such fear if the father hold the child's hand a man does not have to suffer any more if god in his grace removes his doubts and reveals himself to him but this grace depends upon him only after he has prayed to god with intense yearning of heart and practiced spiritual discipline so as we were saying that in our scriptures they speak of two nyaya two types of nyaya one is called marjara nyaya and another is markat nyaya the markat means the monkey the baby monkey attitude towards its parent that's one way of relating to the divine and the marjaranyai the kitten the small cat the young cat the kitten its attitude towards its mother that defines another attitude towards the divine so we will find what the markat the monkey the monk the baby monkey holds onto the claps to the mother when the mother is jumping jumping from tree to tree branch to branch the baby monkey will be clasping its mother so if by chance if it loses the hold the baby monkey is bound to fall as it is the baby monkey which is holding the mother but in the case of the kitten sri ramakrishna in some other context is giving that example when the mother cat carries the kitten just on its it will be holding on its neck and carry it from place to place knowing very well where it will be safe the mother knows where the kitten should be kept so that it is safe so the child need not have to worry at all it is a mother who is taking care so in that case that there is no chance of falling as the mother is holding so that's the thing which sri ramakrishna is exemplifying through a different example that if the child is holding the father's hand that's the markat nyaya just like a monkey there's a chance of fall but if the father is holding the child's hand the marjar nyaya like the mother kitten then there is no chance of fall when the god is holding us we know it for certain in our life when we have truly resigned and if we see our life in retrospect we will find that yes we have passed through so many hurdles of life 
the way we have passed through, it shows that as if we, we, someone was as if holding us. So the real devotee feels it. And for that, that sharanagati, that total resignation should be there. And that resignation doesn't come just by itself. For that, practice is required. So how, how the practice helps? Not in a direct way, in an indirect way. Through all our efforts, God has given us many faculties. He has given us intellect. He has given us emotion. He has given us the power of concentration. He has given us the power to work. By using our presence of mind, we can work. Use all the faculties. Try your best in your life to use those faculties by orienting them towards the divine in the form of karma yoga, by using your faculty of work, by this jnana yoga, by using your power of discrimination, by using your emotion and love, the devotion, there's the bhakti yoga, the power of concentration, the jnana yoga, this raja yoga, all this we use. And at last we find by our effort, it is almost impossible to attain to that spiritual state of equanimity, this, the, the spiritual realization is something far, far fetched. With all our effort we find, and then only the true resignation comes. It's less, just like the tiring of the wings, as Sri Ramakrishna used to say, that the bird was in search of land, sitting on the mast of a ship, it was in search of land, and it flew to the east, the west, the north, the south. At last it got tired, exhausted. The wings were tired. It just came and sat on the mast with the conviction, let the ship take me wherever it takes. So that's the resignation. That resignation comes only after we have tried our best by using all our faculties to reach the state of the spiritual illumination, which we aspire for. Once we get tired, we can, this real resignation comes, and then we find that the divine grace is dawning upon us. It's the ego is the barrier that doesn't allow the divine grace to infill us, to infill our nature, to overhaul us. The divine grace is always blowing. It is unconditional. It is blowing for all of us. But it is our ego, the wall of ego is standing there, which doesn't allow the grace, the wind of the grace to drench our soul. That's what Sri Ramakrishna is saying in some other context. The wall of ego. Through all the practice, at last the ego has to fall off. Then the real resignation comes, then the real sharanagati comes, and then the God's bliss, the God's blessing, the God's grace dawns in our life. So that's the thing which we found Sri Ramakrishna was discussing. In the previous class, we were just discussing that portion. Next, that aim now was thinking when Sri Ramakrishna was speaking on those lines. But aim thought, but why should God make us run about? Thought M. That what's the need for that exhaustion? First, we go through this life with all our worldly pursuits with all our, and then when we get frustrated, we find that it in no way helps us to reach any type of fulfillment. 
then we turn towards the divine, but that also at the beginning, which ourselves try to clasp to the divine. And that's also of no avail. And then when we are totally exhausted, then God comes to take care of us. Then what was the need for all those things? So that's a very genuine question. Thought M, but why should God make us run about? Ramakrishna could read the mind. Immediately, Sri Ramakrishna said, it's not that M spoke this question loudly. It was just he was thinking. But immediately the master replied, it is his will that we should run about a little. Then it is a great fun. God has created the world in play, as it were. This is called Mahamaya, the great illusion. Therefore, one must take refuge in the Divine Mother, the cosmic power itself. It is she who has bound us with the shackles of illusion. The realization of God is possible only when those shackles are severed. So this is the idea which we find that even in this, our, in the, not exactly in Vedanta, in Tantra, in the, the Shaiva culture, in the Tantra culture, that is a divine mother who has as if deluded us. She's the one, if she, by her grace, she can just takes away the delusion, then we can again regain our original spiritual nature, our original, our true nature. So it is a will that we should run about a little. And it is something of fun. In our scripture, they speak, in the devotional scripture, they speak of Ladini Shakti. God is ever fulfilled, but he's blissful, his bliss, that he is Sat Chit Ananda Swarup. He's always existing, he's aware of his existence, and he's ever blissful. But to enjoy his bliss, you know that in this, in life, to enjoy the bliss, we need something else apart from us. The child is full of life. It needs toys. It will be, it has no purpose. If you just give him some clay, either it is a synthetic clay or it's a real, this biological clay, whatever it may be. What it will do, it will make so many things with that clay. And again, it will break it. It doesn't have any purpose that he is making and unmaking. It is just the expression of joy, the life which is throbbing through the child. So God is like that Virata Shishu, is an eternal child. It is, out, it is the expression of the bliss. For from that, from that bliss, the creation is as if emanating. So God has created the world in play, as it were. There is no purpose. This is called Mahamaya, the great illusion. So God has created the world in play. It is all his lila to enjoy his bliss he has created. So to enjoy the bliss, we find that to enjoy your bliss, you have to be two. You alone cannot enjoy the blissful nature. That tat srishtva tat eva the Lord to enjoy his own bliss as if he has created the world. And he has entered into the creation. He has given life to the creation. The one has become many. So the question of interaction comes. The question of love comes. So now the question comes that, uh, that if God wills that 
through creation, through his creation, he wants to enjoy his love, the Ladini Shakti. Then why he has not created us in such a way that we always love him? Why should we go away from him? Why should we play in such a way that we get distracted? So that's uh, a wonderful story in the Bible. The story of the prodigal child is a wonderful story that very nicely gives an interpretation to this fact that why though God wants us that we always love him, but we are so distracted. We are always moving away from him. Now, the love, the story is again there like this, that there are a rich man has two children, two sons. The elder is an obedient one. The younger one wants to be free. He wants to have a free life away from his father. So he asks for his inheritance to give me the share of my property so that I can live freely. The father was not willing, but as the child was insisting at last, he parted with a portion of the wealth with which he could go. And the child left after a few days, he wasted all the money. He was a pauper. And then now again, the thought of father came that I have wasted my money. I cannot survive. I cannot thrive, I cannot survive. So now the thought of father came, but he was full of fear. That apprehension was there, that if I go back to my father, he will be angry, he will kick me out. I have wasted his money, I have disobeyed him. But as there is no other way with all this fear and anticipation, he was returning to the village, to his parental home. And father saw him from a distance. It is he who came running he embraced the child, brought him back home, and there was a huge feast to celebrate the homecoming of the child. So this is the story. So this story, again, if you understand, if you try to understand it between the words, that the young child disobeyed the father. What it speaks of, God has created us in such a way that there are some Nitya Siddhas, like the elder child, who is always in bliss, communion with the father. They never disobey. But there are many who do, do disobey. And if God has created everything, we have to at last attribute that responsibility of disobedience to God himself because he has created us. As we know, when Sri Krishna was trying to subdue the Kaliya, the snake, the venomous snake, because of that snake and its family, the water was so much toxic that no one could just take a dip and uh, in the river and Krishna to punish him. He was standing on the hood of the Kaliya snake and he was dancing and Kaliya was still just, um, he was excreting poison. He was excreting the venom and Krishna asked that why you harm others? Why do you excrete this venom? And Krishna and Kaliya's reply was wonderful. You have given me venom. You have not given me nectar. It is a venom only you have given me. What can I give you? I can give you venom only. So that's the thing. If we are the one who are disobeying God, after God has created us, we can at last attribute the cause of the disobedience to God. So that's okay. Still that's okay. Why? God wants to experience the love. Actually, he's not sadistic. It is he who has become many and now he, by relating to his replica, 
He wants to experience the love, love, the bliss. But again, if he would have created us in such a way that we always love him like the elder child, there cannot be true love. In love, there should be an option that when I love a person, he should reciprocate the love. He should or she should have the capacity not to reciprocate. It is his choice, her choice. That choice really makes the love a real love. If there was no choice, the other being is just like a computer, a programmed computer, a programmed artificial intelligence who is always bound to love. You can never love a toy. It may be not moving or it may be moving, but there cannot be any love for a toy. The real love for love, it has to the one whom you love. He, it's, there should be a choice and you should reciprocate. So God to experience his own love has given us this capacity of choice. You may obey, you may not obey. It is obey. There are few who do obey him, but there are many. Most of us are distracted. We think that the, the joy is there somewhere else outside. I want to freedom. I want to be out of all the shackles and be free, move out to this world. But again, God has created the world in such a way in the word of Sri Ramakrishna, it is dog's curly tail. You can never be straightened. You can never get happiness in our, here, however we may try. He has created it in such a way. At last, we have to turn around. And when and God is eternally waiting, when we turn around, the moment we turn around, it is he who will come running. That's what Sri Ramakrishna used to say, that if we move towards God one step, he will come 16 steps. It is he who comes running. He's just waiting. That's why we find the baby Krishna. We go to God with our hands extended for asking. But as a baby Krishna, we see that God himself has extended his hand. That he is asking. It's very interesting. We go to God and we find that God is asking for us. It is not we who are asking from God. As baby Krishna is asking from us what? Our attention, our love. He's eternally waiting for that. The moment we just turn around, even for a moment, he is ready to come running to embrace us and to experience the bliss, which is his nature. So that is his, all the play. So he has that if you ask that if he wants that, why? It, it, it is a part of his play that God has created the world in play as it were. And this is called this, this delusion he has created, this great illusion, the Mahamaya. Therefore, one must take refuge in the Divine Mother. At last, it is if, some, if the programmer has programmed something, all those who are working on that program are limited by that program. However, I try, I cannot go something beyond that programming. That software is being, has, is decides that what the limitation of my work. If I have to have some more features. I have to ask the one who has done the software. See, I need these features. Please develop it in such a way that I can have these, these facilities. And it is a software engineer who will again think of programming the thing in such a way that our that we can work on it in a much better way. That's what in our life we find. So God is the ultimate software engineer. It is he who has programmed the thing. Now, if we want to go beyond the limitations which the Mahama has created, we have to pray him. That's the way we have to pray to the software engineer. 
and ask him that in uh, that I, the website which you have designed, I need more features. Most probably every that for regular updating I do, but unless the, again, he reprograms it in such a way that the more features are there, I cannot in any way work on it. I have to ask him. So the illusion which has been created is extremely powerful. So that's in the form, that's being is personified as the Mahamaya, the great illusion. However, we may try with all our faculties, it is not possible because we are within it. There's a, there's, there's a two, uh, two way of understanding it. When you are looking at the world of virtual reality, you know that I am watching a movie. I am something separate from it. But suppose you have been created as one of the characters in the virtual movie. That in what you are seeing in the virtual movie, now just think that you are one of those characters in that virtual movie. Now it becomes almost impossible to be out of it. If I think this way that the virtual movie is going on, I am sitting outside, I can of course relate to it as a witness. But how difficult it will be if I am within that matrix. That's the basic idea in the movie of that matrix. If you have seen, it's a total Vedanta. From the Vedanta, the idea has been taken. But if you are, you are within the matrix, how can you just come out of it? It is only the one who has programmed. He can. He can just reprogram me in such a way that I can have the faculty to be out of the game. That's just like, you know, the, the video game, like the angry bird. That if, to win the game, of course, you need some skills. But at the same time, it's not only your skills. The game has been programmed in such a way that at last there is a way out. That it may not be easy. In all the computer games, it, is not, it may not be easy. But it has been programmed in such a way that there is a way out. Unless and until it was programmed in that way, I could never go out of that. That I do that my skills are necessary but it should be programmed in such a way that I can go out of it. I can win and go to the next level. So the same thing is being, you can think in this way, there's this illusion. It's like the world is like a programming of the divine mind, of the cosmic mind to go beyond it. I have to, I have to pray the Lord unless he opens the shackles, it is almost impossible. And that's the thing which Sri Ramakrishna is saying. This is called Mahamaya, the great illusion. Therefore, one must take refuge in the Divine Mother, the cosmic power itself. It is she who has bound us with the shackles of illusion. The realization of God is possible only when those shackles are severed. The Master continued, one must propitiate the Divine Mother, the primal energy, in order to obtain God's grace. God himself is Mahamaya, who deludes the world with her illusion and conjures up the magic of creation, preservation, and destruction. So here again, this Shiva and Shakti are identical. It's not that Shiva is something different from Shakti. God himself is Mahamaya. It is the God who finds expression as Shakti. So God, if God is something beyond attributes, beyond all sorts of this, this uh, adjectives. This creation can be is diversified. It can be understood. It can be comprehended. It is not something incomprehensible. So Mahamaya is uh, the Shakti which can, we can comprehend. 
but god something is beyond that the idea is that but they are both one it is the noumenon which has become phenomenon to take common example to understand that that we may say how is it possible just take an ordinary iron bar an iron bar is not a magnet but we know that the iron bar has the potentiality to become a magnet how it has innumerable magnetic dipoles which are all scattered as they are scattered that the one the magnetism of one magnetic dipole is negating the other as the magnetic as the magnetic dipole one of the magnetic dipoles north pole is in this direction and the other magnetic dipoles north is in the other direction so they are negating each other they are not aligned so that's why the net magnetic field is zero shakti is zero but potentially it is there so as we had as the vedic society had the concept of brahman they could have the concept of zero zero is not absence it means balance when the entire creation is balanced where is no expression of that that's the brahman and when that same iron bar if it so happens that all the magnetic dipoles gets aligned in such a way that all the dipoles the all the north pole of all the dipoles are in one direction and the south poles are in the another direction then that same magnetic bar gets converted into a magnet now so you find that the shakti is finding expression through that so now shiva and shakti is abheda is the same it's one is in the potential form another is the manifested form it's not that they are two things something different in the scripture they say the way you cannot separate the heat from the fire can you separate the heat from the fire fire means that heat so similarly god and shakti is abheda god himself is mahamaya who deludes the world with her illusion and conjures up the magic of creation preservation and destruction she has spread this veil of ignorance before our eyes we can go into the inner chamber only when she lets us pass through the door living outside we see only outer objects but not the eternal being existence knowledge bliss absolute therefore it is stated in the purana that deities like brahma praised mahamaya for the destruction of the demons madhu and kaitava so the same idea we find is in the upanishads that god has created us in such a way that we always through our sense move outwards it is only the few the dhira the the wise one who dives within to find the divine so for that so that's to change this orientation we have to propitiate the divine mother god has deluded us in such a way in the upanishad we find this mantra this paranchi khani it's in kathopanishad paranchi khani vyatrinat swayambhu tasmat parak pashyati na antaratman kaschid dhira pratyagatmanaikshat avritta chakshu amritatvam ichchan paranchi khani khani means kh is sound so by khani it the years is khani means this year and others means year and other five is other four sense or organs of perception 
So there are five organs of perception. Gyanendriyas, the eyes, the ears, the nose, the tongue, and the skin, the touch, through which we are constantly moving out. He, this God, the Lord, the Swayambhu, Swayambhu, the one who exists by his own right, who has no other cause as for his existence, that he is Swayambhu, he is ever existent. The Lord, he has endured the senses in such a way that they always, always, move, they always move outward. They never turn inward. Tasmat parak pashyati. Parak, to move outward. Na antaratma, it never dies within. Kaschidhira, a few blessed one, those who are the wise one, the tranquil ones. Pratyakatma, this parak, opposite to parak is pratyak. Parak speaks of uh, moving outwards and pratyak means moving inwards. So encircling within and another is moving out. So parak pashyati, that we as our senses have been injured in such a way that we always are being distracted by this the external phenomenal existence. But very few one, but very few wise one, they are the blessed one. Pratyak Atman Aikshat, the one who is within Pratyak, to know that Aikshat means desiring that. What he does? Avritta Chakshu. He closes the eyes, he closes all the Indriyas. Amritattva Michan, the one who is within, he is immortal, or the real existence. He is the eternal present. To attain that, you have to close the external senses. So why we cannot do that? Because we have been created in such a way that as Holy Mother says in one place that God has given you the senses. What will you do? You have to move out. It is she, the mother, to whom we have to pray. And if she blesses us, then only we develop that faculty, that aikshat. It's not something which is which we can will. That we have to pray to the Lord, please give me that yearning. Even to get that yearning, it needs God's blessing. Please give me the yearning so that I can realize the divine potential within me, which is lying as potential, uh, something potential, it is lying there hidden. To realize that, give me the yearning. So that's the idea which Sri Ramakrishna is here indicating. One must propitiate the Divine Mother, the primal energy, in order to obtain God's crest. God himself is Mahamaya, who deludes the world with her illusion and conjures up the magic of creation, preservation and destruction. She has spread this well of ignorance before our eyes. We can go into the inner chamber only when she lets us pass through the door. Living outside, we see only outer objects, but not that eternal being, existence, knowledge, bliss absolute. Therefore, it is stated in the Purana that the deities like Brahma praised Mahamaya for the destruction of the demons, Madhu and Kaitava. It's very interesting in our scriptures everywhere. Even in Bhagavatam, we find Krishna before entering the Nidhuvana for the Rashalila. First, she go, he goes and prays to the mother that in no way 
I get deluded that Krishna's the divine play with the gopis is something very pure. There is no this what it has in no in it is in no way tarnished by any sort of the the worldly love. It's pure spiritual. It's a pure spiritual love. What's the difference between ordinary love and the spiritual love? The spiritual devotion. Very nicely in Chaitanya Charitamrita it is mentioned. This Atma Rati Kama Krishna Rati Prema. So in most of our love, the so-called human love, it is only that the love gives me pleasure. It's not the object of love for whom I love the other person. If we really judge, our love is extremely selfish. That love gives me pleasure. That's why I love. So it is all karma. It is all lust. Atmarati. They are all Atmarati. Krishna. When you yourself is forgotten. Some, to some to certain extent, the mother's life for the love for the child can explain that. The mother forgets herself. She is ready to sacrifice her love for the life for the child. So that type of love where yourself is forgotten, you become secondary. The object of love becomes primary. That's the more and more that happens. That speaks of falling off of the ego. That speaks of the real divine love. So, so to have that type of love, that where myself has totally fallen off, that's the devotion. To have, for, for that, the total selfishness has to go. And with the life starts with selfishness, as we taught that avidya from that asmita, that ego comes. So it's programmed in such a way that in creation, the ego is the basic factor of the entire life. So we have to pray to the one who has planned in such a way that the ego has to be there for the creation to continue, to go beyond that. You have to pray to the one who has programmed in such a way. So that's why Sri Ramakrishna is saying that God himself is Mahamaya. He deludes the world with her illusion and conjures up the magic of creation, preservation and destruction. She has spread the well of ignorance before our eyes. We can go into the inner chamber only when she lets us pass through the door. Living outside, we see only outer objects. So this door object is, this again makes us remember of that example, that in the heart as if there is a door within which the Lord is sleeping. There's a very wonderful Tagore song depicting this idea. gopono bijono ghare akela nirabo shayono pore jago 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 gopono bijono ghare in the in the secret this in the secret uh, corner of my heart deep within the heart he is bijono he is lying alone there he is lying there and there is a door which is closed she, the Lord is lying there and the door is closed. Ruddho darer bahire darayami. Ar kotokal amone katibeshami. These poems are wonderful, very sublime. Many don't understand, just take them to be the ordinary love song. It actually speaks of that highest divine spiritual 
these intonations are there in these songs. That I am standing outside the door. The door is closed. How many yugas will pass? I don't know that way. Oh, please wake up, open the door for me. So this door will never open as long as the outer doors are open. As we gave that example so many times, that it is something like the jail. In a jail, there are two gates. That the external gate opens only when it is ensured that the in, inside gate is closed. When the inside gate is open, they will never open the outside gate because that may give the chance for the inmates to escape. And that will be uh, that will create some challenging situation. So to ensure that no one has any chance of escaping, the inner door is kept closed when the outer door is open. Someone has to enter, they will first ensure the inner gate is closed, then the outer door will open. And then you enter within the two doors, first they will lock the outer door and then the inner door will be opened. These two doors never open together. So this human body is like city with the nine doors. Navadware pure dehi. Dehi, the self is residing in the heart. Navadwar, there are nine gates outside. The two eyes, the two ears, the two nostrils, the mouth, seven. And the organ of evacuation and procreation. This two, all this are the nine gates. These nine gates are open for us. So this heart gate is always closed. Unless we close them, this won't be open. <coughs> this idea is even reflected in our rituals. You go to any Indian temple. Many, many don't understand. There's such huge temple. But at last, you go to the sanctum sanctorum. It's very small and it's dark. No light is there. You have to use some lamp to see the deity. And that inner center is Sanctum Sanctorum. The Garbhagriya is very small compared to the huge temple complex that is very small. And it, many of this temple will have nine gates. Even in Belumat, there are nine doors. This idea is this temple is the human body. This nine gates are the senses with which we are relating to the world. You will find that in uh, all the Indian temples, when the offering is going on, you find that the, all these doors are closed. You ask the temple officials, is the temple closed? We say, no, no, no. Just wait, the offering is going on. Once the offering is over, the gate will open. What's the idea? When you have to commune with the divine, the one who is sitting in the sanctum sanctorum, you have to commune with him, offer him something. First, you have to close the nine doors. Then only you can commune with the divine. When all the doors are open, you cannot commune. So first you have to close all the doors. So just see these wonderful ideas, how wonderfully it has been actually reflected in the architecture, in the rituals. Sometimes we don't just even try to relate to them. What's the wonderful that philosophy is there, actually hidden behind all the architecture, behind all the rituals. Once we can understand them, then we can really relate it to our own spiritual life. So that's the idea that unless we have closed those gates, this inner gate, 
will never open. So that's why she lets she lets us pass through the door. It is only she who can let us pass through the door. This has to open up. For that, the external door has to close. For all that, again, it's not only our own will. It is her blessing. If she wants, she has deluded us with all this play. If she doesn't want, it is almost impossible by her own will to really dive within. So we, that's why we have to pray to the mother so that she helps us to develop that yearning so that we can uh, we can close the external organs, avritta chakshu. So that's why in Sanskrit, we find some few, few words that are very interesting that we find that in the Upanishad, they speak of ahara shuddhi. And the dualistic schools, they uh, give too much stress to the food. Ahar means the, you're uh, taking this food is called ahara. Literally, it means food. So ahara shuddhi, this purify, that for developing devotion, the food should be pure. And we find that how much energy is given for having pure food. This food can be contaminated in three ways. Jati dosha, asraya dosha, nimitta dosha. These are in the devotional school. Jati dosha, some food by its nature is impure. They excite you like onions, garlic, non-veg food. Avoid them. Jati dosha. Asraya dosha. If the food is cooked by an impure person whose mind is not pure, that food gets contaminated. So that's why swapak bhojan is the best, that you cook your own food and uh, eat. There is no such chance of contamination. I'm speaking of the bhakti schoolers, the, how they uh, means intensely, they strictly believe all those, uh, follow all those things. And then nimitta dosha, that sometimes we find that the food is kept outside and it gets stale because of insects, germs. So that is nimitta dosha. So food should be purified that there's all these three doshas shouldn't be there. And that's how is this word ahar is being translated. But we find Shankaracharya is not denying this, uh, this, the need for purifying the food, but he defines ahara in a really much more subtle way. He says, aharate, aharate is iti ahara. Whatever we are gathering in is ahara. That word etymological means Etymologically, what it means, whatever you're gathering in. Food, we take in. That's why it is food. But what about what I'm seeing? That also I'm gathering in. That is also food. What I'm hearing, that also is a food. All my five perceptions are food. The ahara shuddhi means that has to be purified. Now you will understand what avritta chakshu means. The best way of purification is close it. Don't allow the mind to be diversed in all these vagaries so that you can dive within. That's the real ahara shuddhi. And that's what, for which, for that, we need to propitiate the mother who has made us in such a way that we are bound to move out this, to constantly having ahara through the five senses. Unless she is propitiated, she blesses, it is almost impossible for the ordinary human being to do to really get out of this matrix by his or her own will. So that's the idea 
which Sri Ramakrishna is speaking through these words. One must propitiate the Divine Mother, the primal energy, in order to obtain God's grace. God Himself is Mahamaya, who deludes the world with a illusion and conjures up the magic of creation, preservation, and destruction. She has spread this well of ignorance before our eyes. We can go into the inner chamber only when she lets us pass through the door. Living outside, we see only outer objects, but not the eternal being, existence, knowledge, bliss absolute. Therefore, it is stated in the Purana that deities like Brahma praised Mahamaya for the destruction of the demons Madhu and Kaitava. For us, the demon is within. This is the Shangshaya. This that Swami Vivekananda in one of the hymns on Ramakrishna has written that that the, what is the demon? It is a sangshaya. Is the, the doubt about the spiritual dimension of our existence? That is the biggest demon in the present world. Now the demon is not with, without; it is within us. It needs the mother's blessing to really kill that demon in the form of sangshaya, sangshaya rakshasha. That where Sri Ramakrishna is speaking, Swami Vivekananda is speaking of the demon called sangshaya. That has to be killed. And for that, we need the grace of the Divine Mother. Shakti alone is the root of the universe. That primal energy has two aspects, Vidya and Avidya. Avidya deludes, Avidya conjures up woman and gold, which casts the spell. Vidya begets devotion, kindness, wisdom, and love, which lead one to God. So Vidya, Avidya. Shakti. That in our life we find that the energy, all our vital energy do have two aspects, the negative aspect as well as the positive aspect. That energy finds this, all the negative aspect is the avidya, which binds us, which makes us more and more obsessed. And the other is the vidya, which helps us to transcend all the so-called limitations, all the obsessions. We can transcend that. That's the vidya. That happens through devotion, kindness, wisdom, and love. So this energy is finding expression as avidya and vidya. That we have, we can understand it in some, uh, this, uh, again, that the discussion which we generally have, that the entire biological evolution started with ignorance. That from the Ajnana came Asmita, Raga, Dvesha, Abhinivesha. That Panchaklesha, we speak of again and again. That speaks of the avidya, the shakti. That once the self gets deluded by thinking itself to be conditioned by the body mind content, by the body mind complex, the self getting reflected there identifies itself with the reflection. And from that, the asmita, the ego comes. And from that, raga, dvesha, abhinivesha follows that attachment, hatred, fear, anything which is favorable for my limited existence, I get attached to it. Anything which is harmful, I fear it. I always try to get rid of it. So these are the factors with which the evolution started. Whereas the microbe doesn't want to die. No one wants to die because someone within is saying you're eternal. To experience that eternity in this physical world is not possible, but out of delusion, we are trying. All these attempts has resulted in our attachment to the woman and gold. 
that in our attempt to have eternity, what are the two factors, main factors? I have to sustain myself for that I need gold. And if, when I find that I cannot sustain eternally, I want to sustain myself through progeny. That fix of the lust or the woman. Here it has been spoken of. These two other factors for with which the entire biological evolution has proceeded. That speaks of avidya. Why? It's the product of ignorance. As a human being, we have the faculty to realize that I'm already that pure and perfect. It was because of ignorance, seeing the reflection to be the real, I was having this futile attempt to experience the eternity in something which is a flow, which is never possible. Then I start coming out of it. And for coming out of it, the things which I resort to, the faculties which I resort to is devotion, kindness, wisdom, love. So all this, because all this speaks of going beyond their ego. Devotion, when you're devoted to something, it, the devotion speaks of uh, dissolving of the ego. The one to whom I am devoted, his interest becomes primary. My interest becomes secondary. Kindness also speaks of that. Wisdom uh, also speaks of your, this power of discrimination between the real and the unreal. Love, all these faculties speaks of the dissolution of the ego. You have developed the faculty to dissolve the ego because you have understood that you're already fulfilled. It is the ignorance which has made you to get identified with the ego. You come out of it with all those faculties. They are the expression of Vidya. So these two, both are in the Maya. As we were saying that the computer games have been devised in such a way that if you are not playing correctly, you lose. But if when you have become skilled in your moves, you can come out of it so that it, it has been programmed, that there is a way out. So here also there's the same thing has been spoken of. So you, the energy finds expression both the ways. If you are deluded, if you have not developed the proper skills to come out of it, you just go on to be just circling within that cycle of avidya karma karma. And when you develop the wisdom, you develop the skills to come out of it. And those skills are being spoken of as devotion, kindness, wisdom, love. This avidya must be propitiated. And that is the purpose of the rites of Shakti worship. In this worship, a woman is regarded as a representation of the Divine Mother. So know it for certain that entire spiritual journey is nothing but to change the orientation of the mind. That why the woman is considered as a representation of the Divine Mother? We are regarding it as a representation of the Divine Mother because as per the biological evolution, as we were saying, it's very quite natural to relate to the opposite sex. When the man is relating to the woman and woman to man, it's all speaks of lust. That's how it's programmed. How to come out of it. There is a way when you change the orientation, you see the woman as the representation of the divine mother. There are two ways. What's the one way? I just close my eyes or I veil the other one. I, I, that's what has happened in the society. That, that because of my weakness, the other, the 
other gender had to go through a lot of restrictions, veiling and other things. That's the thing which has been resorted to, but in the, in the Vedic tradition, this is a unique thing which we find. There is no question of in any way that my weakness doesn't entail the enchainment of others. It is my weakness for which I am enchaining others. It is totally ridiculous. There's other way also. We can sublimate by changing our orientation. And that's a pure human faculty. We can do that. We have that uniqueness. And that's the wonderful thing that which we find in this the Vedic tradition, in the tantras, that worshipping the, 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 each and every form of the woman as the Divine Mother. If you can relate that way, that the basic, that the instinct, you can easily transcend the instinct by which we in default mode, we have been designed. But we have the faculty to design, we can go beyond the default. Like in a computer, what's the default mode? You open a Word file, you will find 2.56 cm is the margin, top, bottom, left, right. That is the default when you open. But now you can change it. You can make it 1.5 or something that is designing. Though by default it is 2.56, now you can change it. Similarly, by default, we do have that the entire process of evolution by default has made us that way. We relate to the other gender through lust. But that's for that we need not have to totally eradicate, means just close our eyes and run away. We have to stay in the society. We have to interact with all, but by changing the orientation. And that's a wonderful thing which has been spoken of in the Tantra scripture. And that's the discussion into which Sri Ramakrishna is now entering. So I won't just proceed uh, anymore because uh, <clears throat> in these lines, Sri Ramakrishna will be speaking something in quite a vivid way. We will take up that portion again in the next class. That, <clears throat> that uh, the, the, what are the various attitudes the devotee assumes towards the Shakti in order to propitiate her. That's all those attitudes. Like in the uh, Vaishnava Shastra, they speak of this, the six bhavas, this, this Shanta, Dashya, uh, Sakya, Vatsalya, Madhur. Similarly, here also in Shakti, there are few bhavas, Sakhi bhava and the Veera Bhava, and then the, that's of a child, of the, this Vatsalya Bhava, these three, this, uh, three, three things Sri Ramakrishna will be speaking of. It's in the Shakti tradition, in the Tantra tradition, what they actually uh, mean, how they help us in spiritual life, that we will again take up uh, for discussion in the next class. With this, we conclude our discussion today. Thank you all. Namaskars.